when Samuel became old, he made his sons to judge over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, or Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in, the, in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And then all of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey, or hearken to the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the way of the king who shall reign over them. Verse 10. So Samuel told all of the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run after his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and to make his equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flock and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Then Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his own city. Let's pray. Lord, as we turn to you now, and we desire to consider this passage of Scripture that you have given to us, Lord, we want that you would open it and teach us that from it we would learn things, not only learn about who they were and the errors and the mistakes that they made, but we'd learn about the inclination of men. We'd learn about the struggles of our own heart. And greater than that, that we would do what they did not. And that we would consider your greatness, your hand, your power, your wonderful sovereignty and mercy. And that we would be so encouraged by who and what you are. 
and by your hand in our own lives that with great love we will happily seek and serve you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here we take up this chapter. Uh, Finally, things had come together in chapter 7. After years and years of disobedience and unfaithfulness and the Ark of the Covenant being housed as it was and the people lamenting for 20 years, finally God brought all those people to a place of repentance. Samuel told them what they needed to do. If they're really repenting and turning to God from their whole hearts, that they needed to do it with all of their hearts, not just in word, but with with deeds that prove that. They needed to get rid of, put aside all those false gods that they were worshiping and serve God only to, to understand their existence and their life and their direction to be about him above all things. And that is what happened after 20 years of this. And from that time onwards, Samuel judged Israel. They did not have a king like other nations. They did not need a king like other nations because indeed God himself was their king. I mean, that's why we we are singing songs like we did. We will glorify the king of kings because he is our God. He is our father. He is our hope, he is our savior, but he is our master, he is our Lord, he is our king, he is the sovereign. We need to grasp all of those things. And God had made this one nation so distinct from other ones. He had given them a law in its particulars that involved not only social external laws, it involved moral laws and it involved religious laws, all that codified, all that the people were to be. It encompassed the totality of their life, which is a wonderful picture for the reality of what comes to us. When by grace we are united to Christ in faith, that that unity with Christ now encompasses the totality of our life. That it, it informs us religiously what we believe and what we do. It informs us morally those things that are pleasing and, and unpleasing in his sight. It informs us socially how we are to interact to others. It, 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 is, it is a comprehensive conversion that the scriptures bring about. And this was to be a picture of that. But as time went by, we begin to see what's going on in this circumstance. It tells us here, we don't have an exact age, but the chapter begins with the simplicity of this. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. We had seen sort of it was uh, maybe towards the end of chapter 7, Samuel had begun judging and what he would do is he would go throughout the territories of the land. He would make a circuit and all the places where there were issues, disputes, circumstances, uh, challenges, wondering what's right, what's wrong, who's guilty, who's innocent. Samuel was that one who was representing God as the judge and somewhat in a prophetic role, but not necessarily bringing a lot of new prophecy, but bringing the application of the law on the lives of those people. And he would make his circuit year after year and then go back to Ramah and make his circuit year after year. As time goes by, what seems to be unavoidable is at a certain stage, 
people find they can no longer do what they used to do. <laughs> there just becomes a, a, a less energy, less strength, less health, less vitality. It, it, it is, there's an inevitable decline that has now come upon Samuel. And as a result of recognizing that decline and, and that his journeys, his traveling and judging was now a little bit more than he could bear and cope up with himself, the solution was, I'm going to get my sons to go and do some of this for me so that I don't have to do it all because it's more than I can now handle. And so he appointed his sons. Now likely you would hope that his sons, and I'm just going to put this out there. This is, a, this, is a, this is a question that I think you will all know the answers to. Who was the father of Samuel's sons? Samuel. So who raised them? Samuel. So who instructed them? Samuel. So what would be the hope that we would really be holding out for? That the, the character the life, the standards, the love of God, the love, faithfulness to declare those things to the people. You would imagine the likelihood if he's appointing them to be judges in his place that they would have, as would make sense in that society, apprenticed to an extent, meaning he wouldn't just say, now you guys go and do it, but they'd go with him on some of his circuits they'd see him engage in what he does so that when he appointed them they knew exactly what he did when he went from place to place here's a dispute and my father based on the law is deciding what is right what is wrong what is fair and what is unfair the challenge came that Samuel made the standard of his judgments God's rules, God's statutes. The sons, when they saw what was going on and how the judgments were being rendered, they saw within the way that the, the business of judging was structured, there was potential for some serious profit. They could make some money. You know, it, it, they, they've got to decide between this person and this person who owns this property. Who owes who what? This person owes me this money. No, I don't. I owe them this amount. All right, if I give the judgment in your favor, are we talking what? 10% or 15% for me? I wasn't sure. Yeah. What's the commission if I judge in your favor? You know, because if you use the term commission, this is what they often do in, in, in India commission gift gratuity you know uh, bribe is what's going on <laughs> uh, there's no no way around it and here his sons saw this and it tells us and this is the, this is a sad reality when samuel after raising his sons and appointing them the fact that he appointed them meant he had some degree of hope and confidence that when they went out they would judge rightly, that they would do according to what they had seen in him. But they didn't. Why not? Doesn't that seem like the most natural thing? Here's the tragic 
confusion of this world, or one of many, when people see good characteristics in others, it's not as easily imitated as when they see bad characteristics, bad examples, and errors in others. Almost without fail, but thankfully at times it doesn't, but the sins of the Father are passed on to the sins of the Son, and, and they imitate that, whether it be uh, demonstrations of temper, whether it be intemperance with regard to their intake of certain beverages, whatever it may be, uh, there is a tendency for there to be an imitation of the flaws and errors. At sometimes, maybe parents can look at their kids at, at, at times and say, wow, they've got an amazing amalgam of both mine and your weaknesses. <laughs> kind of all of our shortcomings we, we can see. Now, hopefully, there's, there's some degree of strength. And, and what's even more encouraging to parents is to look at the knives and say, wow, that's a good thing to see. I don't see that in either me or you. That's fantastic. Praise God for what he's doing there. But, but here is Samuel appointing his son, likely with every expectation that they'd carry out well. And that's what parents hope, that the children will carry on well and carry on faithfully. Parents, be warned. It does not always work. We really need to pray. Our, our children, are, they're in the hands of God, and he's the only one who can direct their hearts and put their love and put their, their, give them a clear, spirit-led conscience. It's out of our control. We, we seek to inform them, we seek to love them, but it's in their hands. Beware, you who are not yet parents, you who are sons, and looking for a different direction, looking to live in the ways of the world, as did the sons of Samuel, it did not work out well for them. Their season of seeming profit was short-lived. They were disgraced, they were dishonored, and they were cast aside. So, uh, what seems so good and so enticing and so desirable, the pleasures are short-lived and the implications are destructive. It's not worth it. Let me just go back and say this. Were it that the sons had been like the father? But what we, try, what we seem to see in the, in the way that the world unfolds is sin seems to be contagious passes from one to another and as one person sinning it begins to have implications on others the sinful behavior of Samuel's son now swelled up within the people of Israel at large a sinful desire in their own heart and then the strangest thing is it probably started out as a as a righteous desire this is not right they are not judging fairly we cannot have these men with no morals and no standards judging us. We need to make this right. That's a good first step, isn't it? But they did not stop there. We need to get rid of these men. We need to make this right. They went on further and said, we have the solution. Uh, they should have said, Samuel, this is the circumstance. Your sons are not fit. Seek the Lord 
and find who he would have judge us in your place because your sons are not fit. They're just not good men. They're not getting it done. So what I'm saying is they should have said, what would the Lord have us do to fix this situation? We know that this is not right before him. We recognize this is not good for society. But what these people did is instead of recognizing the error, they trusted their own wisdom and their own hearts for the solution. Ah, such is the way of the world, right? We trust in our own wisdom. We trust in our own experience. We trust our own hearts. One of the most regular advices that you hear if you ever watch television, uh, one person after another, when someone's got to make a decision, they say, follow your heart. Yeah, just follow your heart, you know. What's your heart telling you? Yeah. That is not, you know, and, and, and people who are watching that are like, yeah, that's right. That's good advice, you know. And, and, and it just breeds this, this sense of, oh, so that's what I should do. In the moments of uncertainty, follow my heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. I mean, that's a pretty ridiculously redundant phrase. But people love it anyways. Uh, here is the situation uh, they, they have uh, proven themselves unworthy it says his in verse 3 his sons did not walk in his ways but turned aside after gain they per took bribes and perverted justice which at least it stops there so it doesn't seem that they 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 went as far as the rampant physical immorality of Eli's sons but I would have hoped in this kind of situation that Samuel having sons would sit them down and tell them let me tell you a story about a father and his sons <laughs> the father's name was Eli a godly man who served the Lord his sons not so much and what a heartbreaking thing and this was their end the ark was given over. They were killed. Eli died. The consequences of their sin were immense. Sons, don't be like the sons of Eli. Listen to me. Do as I do, as by God's grace I try to follow his word. Don't be like them. But you know what? The heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> you know, the head knows what the head knows, but the heart wants what the heart wants. And so the, here, here you come into, it, it's kind of that battle that we see in Galatians. The, the, the spirit is against the flesh and the flesh is against the spirit. You've got these two things warring with one another and, and that still takes place. The passions of the flesh wage war within us. It tells us even as new believers, the passions of the flesh wage war within us. And so what do we do? I'll say it probably too many times in the years to come. Don't listen to your heart. Listen to your word, the God's word. Set your heart on God's word. 
you know, because what, what often will happen in, in, in times and seasons of neglect, now I will say this, there are times that, that we, are, we are walking with Christ, the word of Christ is dwelling richly in us, and our heart is inclining us to good, all right? So don't let your heart lead you, but go ahead and give a listen, all right? But don't obey your heart. Maybe, maybe instead of saying don't listen to your heart, I'd say don't obey your heart. Give it a listen and then test it. Is it, is it, is it God's way or is it the world's way? Because at times, by grace, he inclines our hearts in the right way. And so we see these, these tragic, worthless sins of the sons. You know, to, to what extent, we don't know. Please note this. Uh, these things are happening outside of the observation of Samuel. He is in a semi-retired position there in Ramah. People are probably in that general area still coming up to him to judge because it does say that he continues to judge after this. But his sons are the ones who are going on the traveling circuits. And so they're doing this far from daddy. You know, and there, there's no evening news no, no videotapes, nothing that's coming back to Samuel for him to necessarily be able to see that. So they could probably sustain that for a pretty lengthy period of time before word finally gets back that this, doesn't, this is going on and this can't happen. It seems like because of who Samuel was, they almost didn't want to give him bad news. So by the time the news came to Samuel, it had gone to everyone else. Because in this passage, all Israel then gathers together and comes to meet Samuel. So instead of, you know, it wouldn't it have been great if the first couple of people before going blah, 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 uh, to this person and to that person and spreading these things to everybody so that everybody's upset that they had gone to that person and said, this is not right, I'm telling your daddy. And then they had gone to daddy and said, this is what your boy did. Because... It's likely, and I would be hopeful, that Samuel, having seen what happened to Eli, would have said, all right, you're not judging anymore. You're down. You lost your chance. Disqualified. But these things didn't happen. All of the children of Israel then gathered together. That's what it says in verse 4. Then all of the elders of Israel. So we see the sins of the sons of Samuel. And, the, and we see that the, with the people, there is a right recognition and a wrong response. Verse 4, all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, now this is how they started what they said to him. Behold, you are old. Yeah, which doesn't sound like the nicest greeting you could come up with. Behold, you are old. They're stating the obvious, but, but what they're, they're wanting to set the scene. You're in no condition to get back out on this circuit, to remove your sons and take care of it all yourself, you know. Please note this also. We live in the Western, modern, Western, post-enlightenment world. We live in a different era than they did. In some of those days, you tell somebody you're old, that's not necessarily a bad thing. To become old is to become a person who is considered wizened and respected. It's, it's in our culture uh, to be considered old seems to be a bad thing. 
but it, it was certainly not a bad thing in the days of scripture and so to come up to Samuel and say Samuel you're old that's not a slam or a slight in any way and certainly it can't ever be and we should never take it as such because that's what happens if you live long enough everybody who lives long enough becomes old and with that age comes a level of experience and a level of wisdom that we can pass on to others but with that age also comes a level of limitations that that of things that we could do before that we can't and then he comes and they say you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways now a point for us a king to judge us like all the nations now what's interesting here is it I would have preferred which I rarely get my preference in this world but I would have preferred for it to say this Samuel you are old and your sons do not walk in the ways of the Lord but they said do not walk in your ways which you just never want that disconnect where it's Samuel's ways rather than Samuel's walking in the ways of the Lord David's walking in the ways of the Lord where it where it's where the man becomes the focus the man can be a living example they do not follow your example as you walk in the ways of the Lord they do not like you have walk in the ways of the Lord he doesn't have to be thrown out altogether good examples are a good thing but when it starts to become about your ways rather than God's ways that 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 can be a problem it's starting to indicate maybe that the perspective of the people that had been repentant and was looking to God have kind of taken their eyes off of God and fixed them on God's appointed judge Samuel men are prone to do that look at men rather than God and uh, we see this same pattern uh, there so often in the scriptures uh, when you read through Kings and Samuel and I'll encourage you to do that on your own it will often say of the next king who comes in um, he did not walk in the ways of the Lord as his father did or he did walk in the ways of the Lord as his father did he did or he didn't and, and the fact is there's no guarantee you know, those who had multiple sons such as a David that we considered this morning in Sunday school he had a couple of them that did not even come close to walking in the ways of the Lord and actually the things that that they did we would think what how do they do that and then you have others who were more imitating there's no guarantee parents do not trust yourself as having the power to make your kids right it's all in God's hands children or younger than parents for those who don't want to be called children don't think for a moment that the faithfulness or diligence that you may have seen in your parents accounts anything to you <laughs> it doesn't you need to walk with God yourself 
even if they were a bad example, walk with God. Jesus had told to, to the, um, in the days uh, that he was ministering on the earth, he, he would say, he told them, do what the Pharisees say, teach, but don't do as they do. <laughs> don't imitate them because they're not living it, but if they're teaching right, do that. Whether or not it seems that your parent has earned a leg to stand on, don't cast it off because they don't seem to have a, the sufficient example in themselves. Consider, is this right before God? And walk in the ways of God. Want to go a little further here? There's, we have that right recognition, but here's the wrong response. You are old, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king... To judge us. Now, why, why, what's strange is initially you would think they would say, appoint for us another judge. Not your sons, but someone who will do it right. But they don't ask simply for another judge. What do they ask for? A king to judge us. And what is their motivation right now? Why do they want a king to judge them? Like the other, all the other nations. We want to be like all the other nations. Now, were I there at that moment? Which nations? The Philistines, whom your God and king destroyed? The Ammonites that he suppressed? The Egyptians he delivered you from? The Canaanites whose land you came into? Now, why do you want to be like any of these other nations? whom God dispossessed from their land because of their wickedness? Now, why would there be anything about these other nations that you would want to be like? Technically, God had in marking out the children of Israel, giving them His law, really serving as their king, they were to, if they were to obey the terms of the covenant, they were to live in such a way of God's protection, God's covenant blessing and prosperity, that the other nations would have looked at them and said, ah, which is not a real word. Don't try to spell that. They would have, but, but that would have been the flow of their heart. It would have been, we want to be like them. We need to be, we don't need this king. We need their God. We don't need it. They are what we want to be. But that didn't happen. The people of the world did not look at them and say, we want to be like them, even in the seasons of their prosperity. Why? Because no one understands and no one seeks after God. That's the, that's the nature of men's hearts. They go astray. They seek to find their own answers. And here the children of Israel, they have it. So at the very least, they should say, we want to be like us. But they don't. They say, we want to be like those losers. I mean, not literally. It's, not, it's a paraphrase, right? We, we want to be like all of those wicked nations that have proven powerless in the face of our God that have proven wicked with regard to what is right, I think their way is better. 
recognizing the perversion of justice and the taking of bribes and that that should not continue, good. Having as their solution to imitate all the other nations, which were prone to bribes and perversions of justice, make no sense at all. And so uh, here... This is laid out for them. I mean, one of the challenges that you do face, and I, and I want to just uh, uh, lay this out in Leviticus, and we've seen this at other times. In Leviticus 18, as the children are, of Israel have been brought out of the Exodus, they're in the wilderness wandering around. God comes to them and through Moses speaks to them saying this in Leviticus 18, 1 to 5. Speak to the people of Israel. Say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt. So when you look at Egypt, you ought to be saying this. I don't want to be like them. Well, he's not done. Where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan. To which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules. Keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. And if a person does them. He shall live by them. I am the Lord. So what did that say? When you think back to Egypt. Don't do like them. When you look at the people in the land where you've come, don't do like them. What's happening in 1 Samuel chapter 8? They're standing there in the land, and their argument with Samuel here is, I want to be like them. Well, they're not done, because uh, uh, he says, again, he says the same thing in Leviticus chapter 20, but what's amazing is, when Moses gave the law in its comprehensive closing repeat in the book of Deuteronomy, the fact that they would want a king and demand a king in imitation of the other nations is not right. It is a disobedient act. Even God will say, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. And yet... When did God know they were going to ask for a king? Was it in this moment when they came to Samuel? He was listening. I wonder what they're going to say today. I wonder what's going on down there. It wasn't like that, was it? No. When did he know? Well, he knew back when he was talking with, with Moses in Deuteronomy. Well, did he know only then? He's always known in his eternal, unchangeable, perfect omniscience and wisdom. God had always known before he said, let there be light. He already knew that Israel's going to come to this place and they're going to demand a king to be just like everybody else. And that's why it says in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, God through Moses, says to the children of Israel, when you come to the land 
that the Lord God, your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it, then you will say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. Hmm. The exact desire and direction of their hearts in 1 Samuel 8, God declared to them explicitly in Deuteronomy chapter 17. They were told, this is what you will desire. And here's the, here's the dangerous part. Be careful what you wish for. Because you just might get it. And what you get, and the implications of that, may not be what you really, really wanted. Again, still in Deuteronomy, it says, like the nations. And then God said, actually, there in verse 15 of chapter 17, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers. You will not put a foreigner as king over. He had already said, you're going to demand this. That demand is in rejection of God as king. It is in violation of his principle of distinction and separation. But God, within his own wisdom, not only knew that they were going to deviate, but he had purposed to permit it and to even give them their selfish, worldly Demand. Mm. Well, God's, get, God's answering our prayer. He's given me what we want. That must mean he's pleased with me. Be careful with that, so that expectation. Because that's not necessarily the way that it truly is. And so they asked for a king to be appointed so that they could be just like all the other nations. Now we see that in this, there is actually the rejection of the righteous king because look what it says in verses seven to nine. The Lord said to Samuel, hearken, that's the old King James says hearken. The, the ESV there says obey, but it, it's that idea. Hear and follow. Hear and do. All right, so it, it carries more than just obey. It's like listen to their voice, follow their instruction. And uh, still in verse 7, the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Who was their king? We have no king. Who was their king? God was their king. It was clear. He was king over them, and they themselves had rejected him from being. You don't, you don't have a king like the other nations. You have a more powerful king. You have a more glorious king. You have a perfect and holy king. You have a better king, and yet you want to be like them? And their answer was, yes, we do. We want to be like them. And so the, God says here, they are rejecting me. Now, I would dare say this. If you were to take these people, these elders who had gathered together with Samuel, and say, so are, are you rejecting King God 
from being king and judge over you? Are you rejecting God from being king and judge? Do you know what I believe they probably would have responded? No, no, no. We're not rejecting God. For, we're rejecting Samuel's sons. Our problem is with Samuel's sons. You know why? Men have a way of seeing only this much of the real implications and the real core of their sin. Because we're not holy. We're not perfect. We also have a tendency to justify it. And they probably could have got said, look, at what point, somebody read the transcript of the trial back to us. At what point did we say we reject God for being king over us? We never said that. But whether they overtly said that or not, that was what their hearts were. We do not want to do it God's way. We do not want to seek his will. We have a desire. We have a solution. We want this. That is rejecting God. That is rejecting him as king. That is putting someone else over them. It's uh, uh, interesting this morning in the passage that uh, we were looking at. Uh, it was uh, the next chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 12 after David had been disobedient and David had done all of those things and Nathan had come in and told him that the sword would never depart from him in chapter 12 verse 10. He said, therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the right wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Despised me? I dare say I might interview David at that point and say, this is nothing about despising you. I, I still love you as I always did. I still esteem you as I always did. It was, it was kind of more about doing what I wanted. <laughs> than it was about despising you. Now here's the shocking thing. When we do what we want, disregarding what is pleasing to God, we despise him. Now I'll say this. There are few, very few of us, I, I think, who would, who would ever shoulder width, feet apart, arms crossed, head up and then and say I despise no one would do that right directly declare that to God no one would do that but God was basically saying this is what you did you when you disregard my will my words and you do what you want you despise me that's why at times the, the bible will say things like against you only have i sinned you know and i and i feel like when i read that from from david's writing i feel like pulling him aside maybe gripping his lapel a little tightly and saying buddy you also sinned against uriah the type you know you 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 did wrong you wronged this guy and he did but David understands that, you know what? However much you may wrong a person, that is not the core and the deep significance of sin. The core and deep significance of sin is it is a disregard, a despising of God. We don't get that sometimes. Well, I, I was just telling a little white lie. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody. 
Nobody was hurt. Uriah didn't die when I did this. It was no big deal. It was no big deal. To by your deed declare, I despise. Ah! Aren't we so thankful for repentance and the sure guarantee that as we come to him in Jesus' name and we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive. Huh. Not kick us out, not disregard us, but, but just to, to, to understand the, the, the swell of this uh, and the, how, how the nature of these sins swell. They have rejected God from being king over them. Uh, the, over in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, you'd actually see these words they're, they're, as uh, Saul will then be proclaimed uh, king in chapter 10, verse 18. It says, today, and we'll see this in a couple weeks, today you have rejected your God. Here is the day of the uh, appointing of their king and showing him. Here is your king, all of Israel gathered at Mizpah. Here is your king, and, and for the inaugural address before anointing and appointing this guy it'd be you know the preamble begins like this today you have rejected your god who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses and have said set a king over us you know We'll see this in a couple weeks, but I, you know, I've always read that and thought, shouldn't that be the moment at which they would say, eh, stop the proceedings, you know? It, it, could he not have said, you know, before we proceed, if any man has an, a word against this, if anyone has a, a reason why this should not be brought about or permitted, you know, like they do at weddings, if anyone has some, let him step forward, forever hold your peace. Tell them right now, hey, if you've got something, should we, does anyone think we should not go through with this king thing? Of course, even if it had happened that day, what would they have done? No, no, no. Carry on. Carry on. Food's getting cold. Carry on. That's the way. Oh, the way of our hearts. They have rejected me from being king over them uh, such a solemn warning we, we see that sinful pattern of behavior now what's remarkable here is you think that uh, okay God is going to help them out before they uh, are given a king he gives them this he tells them okay give them declarations of the detrimental effect of their desires tell them what you want will hurt you what you want is bad i can't simplify it any more than that and, and he be, and he begins it as, as, in the verse 10 he says solemnly warned them and so samuel told him all the words of the lord who were asking for a king from him and he said to them this these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Now what's remarkable about this is God is merciful. Even though this threat comes, 
God does not bring about this threat by their first king, Saul, or by their second king, David, or by their third king, Solomon. So uh, here's a possible thing. God is slow to anger, so it might not even come about till our grandchildren. So we're good. Let's get what we want while we get it and let them face the consequences. That's not a healthy way of thinking either, and I hope we wouldn't think like that. We often, I think we even ourselves consider now, what's going to be the situation uh, with this new generation of children that are growing up? And, and when those who have children now have children and grandchildren, what's going to be the, the nature of politics and morality in the United States of America? I mean, God only knows. But, but we look at things and, and have lots of questions. And here comes the declaration. Uh, verse 11. These will be the ways of the king who reigns over you. And it says, he will take. All right. From the very start of that phrasing, he will take. Doesn't sound good, does it? And, and I'm going to just... Uh, Go through there. We'll look at the particulars in a moment. But let me just show you uh, these verbs as they apply to what this guy is going to do. And I'll, and I'll go through them. There it is in verse uh, 11. He will take. In verse 12, he will appoint for himself. In verse 13, he will take. In verse 14, he will take. Verse 15, he will take. Verse 16, he will take. Verse 17, he will take. At which point are you thinking, yeah, this guy's on the take. Right? Which is never a compliment. He's going to take, and then, and then when you look at the particulars, what is he going to take? Well, he's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your best producing properties. For unjust redistribution, by the way. He's going to give it to his servants. He's he's going to take from your prophets. He's going to take from your servants, male and female. He's going to take your best cattle. He's going to take your best donkeys. He's going to take a tenth of the flock. Everything you love, everything you value, everything you treasure, he's coming and he's taking. Sounds good. I mean, I would hope that if somebody was to come with a political speech like this, let me introduce our next candidate for president. When he's president, he's going to take. He's going to take, and he's going to take, and he's going to take. After that, he's got a little taking to do. At what point are you going to... All right, let me write his name down so I don't forget not to vote for that fellow. Because that is terrible. They hear all of these warnings of everything that this king is going to do. And worse than that, look what it says at the end. It's going to be so bad. Verse into verse 17. Not only has he taken all these things from you, but effectively your position is going to be, it ends in verse 17, and you shall be his slaves. Okay, wait a second. So he's taken everything from us and then ultimately he's taken our freedom entirely from us. Forget this. And then he goes even with this further. 
explanation of how things will unfold. And in that day, verse 18, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. You don't want God to be king over you? You want your own king? You're going to get what you want. And you're going to find that in getting what you want, you actually lose what you really wanted. And then you're going to cry out to God. He's not going to listen to you. Not going to hear you. You're going to plead from. See, by this point, they've had this experience. We're oppressed by the Amorites. God help us. Deliver. We're oppressed by uh, these people. They're attacking us. God help us. We're enslaved. Delivered. They'd had that cycle of cry out to him and the Lord delivered. Cry out to the Lord and he delivered. Now he's telling them when this happens, you cry out. Nope. I'm not hearing it. And again, in my mind, I think at that point when, some, when that's what a king's going to be like. And it's also going to sever us from communion and communication with you. All right, forget this. <laughs> There's no way we're going through with this, you know. We spoke without thinking. No, thank you, God. No king required. What would you have us do? But here is the, the response of hearts that aren't touched by grace. Their minds are darkened in their understanding. Their hearts are deceived and callous. And verse 19, an absolute disregard and despising of the Lord and coming up with their own demand. The people, listen, but the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel and said, no, but there shall be a king over us. We hear all you're saying, but no, we're going to have what we want. And why? Verse 20 that we may also be like the other nations and have a king that judges us and have a king that goes out before us in battle and, and fights our battles. Who has gone before them in their battles in the past? God has. And the victories that they have experienced and secured... No one had ever been able to overcome the walls of Jericho. It was impenetrable until it was reduced to rubble. Entirely by God. Not, not a rock was thrown at it. Not an arrow was shot at it. No, no, no hand grenades, no bombs, nothing. God reduced it to rubble. God at times, the people, Israel stood there on the mountains and watched God take massive armies who were all coming together to meet, to come against them and destroy them and, and, and see God turn them into utter confusion so that they begin to fight among themselves and kill each other. Uh, so we, we don't even have to fight. We, we won. We won without doing anything. Right? Or here they are all gathered for battle and then they go to sleep. The angel of the Lord comes bringing death on that camp and when 
the remaining people awake in the morning. There's dead people laying all over the place. And they get up and run. Well, that We'd rather have a king going out before us in battle because what can he do? Well, he could wear fancy armor. You know, he could put big red feathers in his cap and, you know, inspire the people. How much help is that? How significant is that? All these other nations that you defeated, they brought out kings against you. King of Og, King of Bashan, Pharaoh and King of Egypt, these mightiest kings of their day and age, one by one, God just devastated them. You know, we, even if we think back, how many of Pharaoh's soldiers did the children of Israel defeat on their way out of Egypt? How many? Jiro. None. But God wiped away Pharaoh and his whole army in one fell swoop. All these things they had in their history, and they're like, no, I think we'd rather have a man go out for us and a man judge us. That, because that would make us like everybody else who we've seen are destined for destruction and judgment at the hands of our God whom we're rejecting. Yes, that's what we want. The, the inability to actually process these things and come to wise conclusions. We look at that and say, how can they ever do like that? And the reality is because apart from the grace of God, men, they do not understand their dependence upon God. They do not understand the depravity and the direction of their own heart. They just don't get it. And if it was not for God's grace, we'd be a lot like that if not exactly like that, a king to go out, a king to go before us, a king who would fight our battles. When Samuel, I find uh, verse 21 interesting, when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. All right, so God, let me tell you what they just said. <laughs> yeah, does he really need to tell them? No, I mean, the telling is more for Samuel than it is for God. And how merciful of God to listen to it. You know, I, mean, I hear everything, Samuel. You don't have to repeat it. I mean, I read, heard once of an occasion where a man was praying and said, Lord, this happened in our city. Uh, oh, but you probably read the paper this morning. It's like, what? That's not how God, God doesn't get his information like we do. Uh, on a rolling and an ongoing basis. God knows everything. God sees everything. God hears everything. But I also love the fact that here is Samuel, burdened in heart because of the wickedness of these people, and just venting to God his frustration, and this is what they said, and this is what they said. And God listens to him, as he often does to me. As I, you know, I'm struggling, in, where... I, Practically speaking, I could even start to pray. And, well, God, you kind of already know everything I'm going to say. You kind of already know everything I'm going through. But that's not how it works. We can pour out our hearts before him, and he hears us, and he listens to us. And it's not a, 
Hold it right there. Do you think I couldn't hear him? Hold it right there. He, he lets him pour out his heart. And so he shares all of these things. And, and even more shockingly, why would God considers them to be rejecting them? God considers that demand of a king a despising of them. I ask you this. Could God have said no? Yes. And I might ask you another question. Should God have said no? There's a part of us that says yes. I mean, because it, it was wrong what they wanted, he shouldn't have given it to them. Well, that's where the God, the, the mercies and the wisdom of God are just very different than us. God ultimately hears the real truth. God never should have done anything differently. Why? Because whatever he does is most wise. But I don't understand how that's the best plan. Good. Because what does it remind us in the scriptures? His judgments are unsearchable and his ways are inscrutable. Which means when, when you look at it and say, I don't get it. Then you're probably understanding accurately what God has done. <laughs> when you say, I get it. I understand it. I completely know the mind of God. I could be his counselor. You're wrong. He alone dwells in inapproachable light. He is the immortal, invisible God only wise. You know, it's hard to make the word only that long. But that's the, I'm trying to emphasize that very, very clearly. And so they demand that. And God says to, them, to, to Samuel, the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. And then Samuel dismissed them to go home. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that God said, give them a king. Because he actually had told Moses that's what he was going to do. Samuel apparently wasn't all that clear on the fact that God had intended to permit them to go down the path that they would. But, but by appointing a king, this king's going to be set aside and then eventually the kingdom will be divided. And uh, So many problems are going to come from wicked kings in the future. True. Did God not know this? God knew every single problem that would result by him permitting the people to have what they desire. That's why we, if we have the smallest measure of wisdom, will pray, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because I don't know why I want what I want. I don't know all the implications and incidental things that, that will, will, will come out in terms of consequences and events. I don't know everything. I only think I know everything. Right? <laughs> that's, where, that's where we live. And so this passage, as it, as it really unfolds to us, gives us this sense. It, it opens up with the, sins of Samu the sons of Samuel and how they took bribes and perverted justice. They did not walk in the ways of the Lord as their father did. The people came with a white right recognition. This is not right. It needs to be fixed. And then a wrong response. We've got the fix. It needs to be fixed our way rather than seeking what is God's will. Then, uh, then as it unfolded, 
we see that their what was at their heart's desire and at their root core was a desire to be like all the other nations instead of distinct and separate unto god they wanted to be indistinct and just like everybody else there was a rejection of the righteous king the true and eternal king who judged them and went before them in battles we see that warning the declarations of the detrimental direction of their desires he this king that you will get he will take and he will take and he will not stop taking until he's taken your very lives and the response of the people in the darkness of sin and in the hardness of their heart is yeah that's what i want i want that which will eventually result in me losing everything that's what i want and samuel tells these things to the lord and the lord says well it is me that they've rejected and i'm going to give them what they want here's a beautiful thing we have a great king don't we and he didn't leave us with the desires of our own heart but in the hearing of the gospel sent his spirit to us and, and, and gave us new desires, gave us a new understanding where it's like, I, I no longer want to be just like everybody else. I, I see what the world is doing because of the wisdom that God's bringing in my heart and mind. And I see that it's vanity. It's end is destruction. There's nothing to be gained. I want as my king, God himself. I reject the world. I reject the ways of the world. I reject the temporal desires of confirmation of my heart to conform to this world, but would rather by grace be conformed unto Christ, my true king, the king of glory. And so I want us to understand this. If we have come to that place, where we see him as our king and we love him as our king it's all of grace because apart from grace our hearts and minds are just like these israelites they make decisions that you look at it and says that makes no sense they are willfully choosing their own misery and ruin why would they do that that's the nature of fallen men that's what happened in the fall with adam men are hardened in their hearts darkened in their understanding until a light dawns upon them in the hearing of the gospel in the working of the spirit bringing about transformation and conviction and and instead now we come and we we think i don't understand when we share the gospel that is life and hope to me I don't understand how people reject that. I don't understand how they have no interest in that. I, have no, I can't understand how they say, well, I'm not willing to give these things up. You're not willing to give up a handful of rocks for streets of gold, figuratively speaking. It, it really, it, it's junk. It's garbage. And that's what Paul ultimately said, isn't it? I, I consider everything that I had rubbish compared to knowing him that's the work of grace 
And so, uh, you know, we, we, th- the point of what I want us to leave with this morning is not leave shaking our heads. Those people were so dumb. Those people were so wicked. I don't want us to just leave with that condescending look upon them. I want us to leave with a conscious look to God and say, if it were not for your grace, I also would make the wrong decisions. I also would walk the wrong way. But you shed your light upon me. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You are my king and you are my God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word and the blessing that it is to be able to sing your praises. Lord, I would just ask that um, even now as we consider it, that you would stir our hearts up with a sense of the grace that we've received and fill us with much joy and hope. Lord, I pray that we would learn that when the children of Israel are doing things that to us seem so entirely senseless, that we would understand that man in his fallen estate has lost all spiritual sensitivity, that he is dead in his trespasses and sin. And be so grateful and thankful that while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, you made us alive in Christ Jesus. You brought us to be a kingdom of priests, worshiping and following our great king of glory, Jesus Christ, in whom is all of our hope and joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.